So uh, we are going to return to our study of uh, 2 Timothy this morning. And I, I told somebody earlier, I, these are kind of depressing verses almost um, because of how they speak to humanity and humanity situation. But there's actually some good nuggets in the midst of it. And if you remember, Paul is writing to Timothy about this community that he's a part of and how he can lead well. And we've been reading that mail because some of those things address how we think and how we go about the things that we do. And I've called this expectations because I think our expectations can really set us up to experience life well or poorly. So I don't know if you've ever done a recipe that said it was easy <laughs> and you, you started doing it and it was like, oh, yeah, right, if you're like a master chef. Or um, I, I've seen these woodworking projects where they say, you can do this in two hours. Yeah, right, three days later, you know. It, so our expectations can really affect our understanding of what we're about or how we're doing things. And so Paul is writing to Timothy to try to give him some perspective. Now remember, he's dealing with false teachers who have upset things, and so Paul gives some more explanation on that. So this is how it begins. We're going to look at nine, we're going to look at not all these nine verses, but we're going to start with verse 1. So this is what he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, there's two things I want us to look at there. First is that little phrase, last days. When, what's the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear the phrase, last days? Yeah. Often what comes to our mind is a period of time right before Jesus comes back. So we think in terms of maybe months or a couple of years that the last days is that last, you know, the last little season of, of this world before Jesus comes back. Well, I don't think that does justice to what the New Testament teaches about it. So you can look this up this afternoon. I'm going to tell you about them, but you can look this up for yourself this afternoon. In Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit has come upon the church and they're speaking in all these languages, Peter gets up and gives this message to explain what's happening. And what he says is a quote from Joel 2. So you can look at Acts 2 and Joel 2. In Joel 2, the prophet prophesies that in the last days, God is going to pour his spirit out on sons and daughters. And Peter says, that's what's happening. So according to Peter, the last days were beginning right there at Pentecost when the spirit came upon the church. Here's the second evidence I would give you. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. There, that author says to us, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, meaning Jesus. So the last days are a part of Jesus' earthly ministry. So what we need to recognize is we're in the last days. Why would Paul write about the last days to Timothy if they were a distant future to him? Like, well, that's nice to know, Paul, but what does that have to do with what I'm doing right now? 
No, what we should understand, I believe, is that this last days is this period between Christ's first coming, because things were different, right? After Jesus came, a whole new covenant was given. And so we could enter into relationship. We could be forgiven. We could be cleansed. We could have this new relationship with God. Not that believers didn't have faith before, but it's different. And so, um, and so it's between his first coming and his second coming. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is it's going to be hard. Now, what did Jesus say in the upper room? He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but don't let your heart be troubled. I have overcome the world. So what Timothy is being told here is that we're in the last days and things are going to be hard. Don't expect it to be easy. We've been given an easy yoke, but the circumstances may not be easy. We may have difficulty. And I just want you to think about the church in the first century. They experienced persecution, right? They experienced tribulation. I want you to think about the church in China and think about all the church throughout the centuries have experienced tribulation and difficulty. Things are going to be difficult. Expect it. Don't, don't be dismayed by it. Don't be disturbed by it. Don't let your heart be troubled. Well, why are they going to be difficult? Well, Paul gives the reason, and this is where it gets kind of depressing. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. Like, you don't want your neighborhood to be like that, right? But that's what people are like apart from Jesus. Why are we going to expect them to be any different? Now, now you know people who don't know Jesus can be nice, right? That doesn't mean everything that everybody does is constantly evil. People who are not followers of Jesus do good things. But generally, this is what humanity is like. And I just want us to realize that, that, that people aren't naturally nice, understatement. And so when we want to be in any kind of ministry, when we want to help people, it's going to get messy. You're going to get involved with questions that are going to be hard to answer. You're going to face situations that are difficult. Paul is reminding Timothy, this is why it's hard. The problems of the world are not created by rocks and trees and weather. The problems of the world are created by people like this. That's why we struggle. This is Memorial Weekend. Why are there wars? Because of people. And because people are like this. That's what we have something to say about because we have a message for people like this. So then Paul continues the list. People are treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men 
as these. So Paul is further going, you know, that's just a continuation of the list. And I think that last part kind of sums it up so well that people are lovers of pleasure. So I'm self-interested. I'm not interested in what God has. I'm not a lover of God. I'm not honoring God. I don't want to honor God. The sad, the sad truth of our culture and of the world apart from Jesus is they think that somehow surrendering to God is death rather than life. And so Paul, in explaining this, explains why there's trouble in the world. It's people apart from God living all these kinds of awful qualities. And then he says, he's talking about false teachers, but obviously that can be applied to other people. They are holding to a form of godliness. Okay, now let's just think about what these false teachers are doing. We know that they are trying to gain people, influence with people, primarily to make money, primarily to, you know, create a following so they can generate uh, a lifestyle, an income. So they hold to a form of godliness. They look good. They, they, they follow a pattern that kind of makes people think, oh, you've got something to offer. And all you have to do is think about some of the situations where so-called Christian leaders, they, you, and you can document it because of the things that have been found out, were fakes. They, 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 they manufactured miracles or they did other kinds of things to try to gain money and to gain influence. And it goes all the way back to the first century where there were false teachers. Now, here, they're looking good, but they actually deny the power of it. And so what that tells us is these are not genuine believers. Sometimes genuine believers, they love Jesus, the spirit is part of their life, sometimes they get it wrong and they'll teach something that's not actually true. We're not talking about people like that because Paul is saying avoid them and in the next section, which I'm not going to put up on the screen, it talks about how, um, well, he talks about how they enter houses and, and they are basically being deceptive to what's probably widows and taking control. They're, they're essentially ripping them off. So um, here's the nugget in that, though. They've denied its power. Well, that means what? There is power. The message of the gospel has power to change people's lives. Paul writes in Corinthians about how when we are in Christ, we are new creations. There is a transformation that can take place. Yes, sometimes we're surrounded by messiness, but Jesus entering a life transforms it. They can become a very different kind of person that's the hope that we have. And so what Paul is pointing out about these false teachers is they're trying to look good, but they've denied the actual power of the message of the gospel. And that's why Paul says, avoid them. So they like to look good, but they deny the power of the gospel. So then the end of this section, he says this, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. 
but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jonas and Jambri's folly was also. Now, if you do a little Bible search on those two names, the only place you're going to see them is in this passage. They're not named in the Old Testament, but there was a Jewish tradition that these two names were associated with those magicians in Pharaoh's court. So you remember the story where um, Moses goes before Pharaoh and he throws down his staff and it turns into a snake. Well, the magicians could do that too. They could throw down a staff and it would turn into a snake. Probably wasn't actually turning into a snake. It was probably a trick. But they were opposing Moses, trying to say, no, we have the true gods. We have the true truth. Well, they couldn't do it, but so far, remember the story, they tried to copy the miracles and they could do it for a little bit, you know, with the plagues. But then it got to a point like, no, they had nothing. And so their folly was evident. Like, you don't serve real gods. You don't serve anything powerful. And so the truth came out. And that's, again, where this, what Paul is saying about these particular teachers is they've gotten to a point where they're beyond that's why we don't try to deal with them. What we're trying to do is help people avoid their clutches by teaching them the truth. So that's one of the good news. This past year, it's been so confusing and so difficult because we've just wanted to know what was true, and sometimes it was hard to find out what actually is being true about the circumstances around us. But the good news for us as followers of Jesus is we know the truth and we know all the falsehood is going to be revealed. Evil doesn't win. Jesus does. And so the truth is going to come out. So I'd like to give you some expectations um, to, to help you navigate this, to, well, for all of us to navigate our lives. The first is expect things to be difficult at times. Remember, Jesus promises an easy yoke but he doesn't promise easy circumstances. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but do not let your heart be troubled. If you're going through a hard time, don't let that rock your world. Trust that God is still with you and working with you. Now, sometimes we know we have a hard time because of something we've done and we need to kind of fix that, but don't expect the circumstances to be easy all the time. They're going to be difficult. We're going to have hardship. Second, being involved with people is messy. If you want to help people find Jesus and you get involved with your life, it's not always going to be easy. Sometimes it's messy. People get into trouble. They, they make a mess of things. And being involved with them and caring for them can be hard at times because of that. That's still good for us to do. You saw the list. Don't expect everyone to receive what you have to say the first time. And sometimes you try to help people and you're misunderstood. It's messy. That's okay. Third, expect the gospel to make a difference. You have a message. You have a truth that can transform people's lives. They will become new creations. Don't underestimate that. Don't downplay that. Sometimes we're too familiar with the truth of the gospel. 
we are too experienced it and we neglect to see people around us as needing it. And third, remember that falsehood is going to be revealed. The truth is going to come out in the end. So I want to just go back to that last day's phrase, and I want to remind you of something that Jesus said. Jesus said, nobody knows the date. Not even him. Only the Father. So, here's my extrapolation of that. If somebody gives you a date, you can be pretty sure of one thing. It's not that date. Because only God knows. Secondly, the one thing that Jesus told us that we can hang our hats on with clarity and purpose is this. He said, you can see it in Mark 13 and you can see it in Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed among all the nations and then the end will come. So we know for sure that the Jesus isn't coming back until the gospel has reached all the nations. So as of today, 60, about 60% of the world's population live in a culture that has the gospel present. And about 40% of the world's population lives in a culture that doesn't. That's actually good news. About 20, 30 years ago, those percentages would have been 50-50. We've made that much progress in the last 40, 30, 50-something years. It used to be that about 10,000 people groups in the world didn't have the gospel. That meant that there were no believers of that culture or that language group. Now the number is about 7,200. We are making progress. So the most important thing, the most important thing we could do to speed Jesus' return is to get the job done, which is why we have to be willing to deal with difficulty, willing to be involved with the lives of people when it's messy, and understand the power of the gospel so that we can share it. And remember that Jesus has told us again and again and again don't let your heart be troubled. This is our expectations, and when we live that way, we're going to navigate the challenges that we face, the confusion that's around us. We're going to navigate it well because our eyes are fixed on Jesus where they should be fixed. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that Paul just wrote so directly, and although... As we read the list like this, it can be disheartening because that's just hard to be surrounded by people that don't have good purposes and live for self. But Lord, you have given us a message that's transformative. So may we be faithful to share it and live it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.